Okay, if you have your Bibles, please join me in Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 to 15. Do you all know what today is? It's Sunday, but today is Yom Kemper. That's the Day of Atonement. So starting at sundown tonight for the next 25 hours, uh, those that are of the Jewish persuasion and still practice Judaism, they will have no food, no water. They'll not be able to wear uh, leather shoes or actually anything leather. Uh, they will not be able to walk, go anywhere. It will all be contained. And this is the day uh, starting at sundown tonight, 25 hours, uh, probably an hour after sunset tomorrow night in which the priest will make atonement for the people of Israel. And he'll do that in the Holy of Holies. So it's kind of ironic, as I saw that pop up on my alert notice, that we're going through Hebrews. And actually, the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell them you don't need that sacrificial system anymore. And the reason you don't need it is because Christ has come. Uh, and you know, the, the, the Jewish people, uh, they've suffered a lot. Uh, two nights ago, we, we started watching Fiddler on the Roof. Uh, yeah, again, well, I, I haven't seen it in a while. The, the scene that I like is, if I were a rich man. And I'm not going to sing because I can't sing it. <laughs> They're like, please don't. But that was set in the early 1900s in Russia, and the Jews were being persecuted. Isn't it ironic? Isn't it ironic that God's people, the Jews, have always been persecuted? And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, you need to make a decision. You need to make a decision. It's either Judaism or Christ. For us, we could say either legalism or Christ or liberalism or Christ. Because Christ is ultimately the goal of every person. So let's look at where we've been briefly. In Hebrews 6, 1 through 3, he talked about going beyond the basics, the ABCs, and that we're to aim for perfection. Now, obviously, we're not going to hit that perfection. It says, go on to maturity. That word maturity in Hebrew means perfection. So we aim high even though there will be times in our lives when we don't make it. Secondly, Hebrews 4, 11 to 13, we found out that we find rest in Christ. In Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, we learned that in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. So there was former days and there were present days. And in this present day, he has spoken to us through Jesus Christ. Last time we looked at uh, pay close attention to the gospel. So this leads us to maybe more of the same in some sense, but in another sense, not quite. So take care, brothers, lest any of you be an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may harden by deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our, to our original confidence firm to the end. 
And then he concludes here in verse 15. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Obviously, this was written specifically to a Jewish audience. But there are things we can learn as Gentiles this morning. But let's look at what the writer mentions here. First of all, he says, check your heart. Take care, brothers. Blepo is the Greek word there, and it means to take responsibility for something. So it is, in, in a sense, the author is calling the reader to take personal responsibility to make sure that they are in Christ. It, it's pretty awesome the way he writes this. Take care lest there be any of you. Now, here we are again. It, it's almost like the writer's doing the wheat and the tares, that they're going to grow together. It, it, there's, there's two sides of the equation. On the one side, you have those who have trusted in Christ. And on the other side, you have those, just like we looked at last week, so close, so close to salvation, and yet they don't quite get there. So he says it here again. Any of you with an evil and unbelieving heart. Paneros means sick, um, damaged, diseased. And then unbelieving heart really refers to not trusting in Christ. And that's having the faith. It's, it's the uh, one where the person is not a believer. The good the thing here about the heart, and Jeremiah wrote this, uh, Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Uh, the heart is deceitful. And one of the great tools of Satan, and I've seen this through the years, one of the great tools of Satan is he'll say, okay, you don't really need Christ. You don't really need to trust in him. He's not really the Savior. And, and then they, they begin to reason in their own mind and their own perverted heart that they don't need Christ. And of course, then they begin to drift. But for the Jew, for the Jewish reader, for those that were he was writing to, I, I get the sense, as I've read through this again, I get the sense that these people are right there on the edge and they just need to go over the edge and trust in Christ. And so he's saying, look, you got to be careful. This is not something that your mom can do for you, your dad can do for you, but you need to take care lest there be any of you with an unbelieving, evil, hardened heart. Nobody will stand before God in the great white throne of justice or judgment and say, well, my mom never told me, my dad never told me, my, all these different excuses, because here it's clear that you're going to have to stand before God. I'll stand before God. Most of us as Christians will stand before Christ. The reason we're standing before Christ at the Bema seat is we've trusted in him. We are not going to be judged eternally. Well, we will be, but it'll be into the kingdom of God. Those who are at the great white throne of judgment, those are the ones that are in trouble. And so he says, look, take care, brothers, generic there, brothers, brothers and sisters, lest there be any of you with an unbelieving heart. Yeah, and as we were watching uh, Fiddler on the Roof, you, it, it was all about tradition. Uh, that song came up many times, tradition. It, actually, it's a good movie. Um, 
But those traditions fall short of true salvation. The religious elements fall short of Christ because Christ lived those religious elements all through the Old Testament. Every law that God ever spoke, said, or thought, Jesus Christ lived. So he fulfilled it to the letter. Now, he adds here in verse 12, leading you to fall away from the living God. And again, the word they're falling away means to get right on the edge of something and not be able to cross. So then your own heart starts deceiving you, saying, well, I don't need to know Jesus Christ. And it starts deceiving you and pulling you further and further away, if you could put it this way, the gospel line where you go over and you trust in Christ. Now let me say this. We need to pray for the Jewish people that they come to know Christ. I have a friend, Kurt Glebe. He's a Messianic Jew, and he practices all of the elements and applies them to Christ, which they do fit. And we'll get into that in just a minute. Thomas Lay in his commentary writes this, For someone to turn from the full truth of God in Christ back to Judaism was an open compromise. And here's his reasoning for this. To turn from Christianity reject, uh, involved rejecting Christ. To reject Christ involved rejecting God, because God sent Christ. Even though Judaism has elements of spiritual truth, which it does. It was not God's final revelation. In these last days, God has spoken to us through his son, Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. It was not God's final revelation. Only those who respond to God in Jesus have reached the final understanding of God's revelation. I, I want to pick up on something here, where he mentions, even though Judaism, Judaism has elements of spiritual truth. I know you guys and gals probably know this already, and, but I'm going to ref refresh our memory here. So this was called the holy place. And of course, today on Yom Kemper, the, the priest will go in to the Holy of Holies, and he will go before the Ark of the Covenant, and he will make a blood sacrifice on that altar. But before you get into that, you have to enter the holy place. And, and I want to point some things out. Okay, so right here you have the menorah. There's seven candles. Seven represents the perfect number, which represents God, who is perfect. Over here you have 12 uh, loaves of bread, which is the 12 tribes of Israel. You also have wine right here which is symbolic of a covenant with God. And then you have the altar of incense, which burned 24 hours a day, and the priest would offer prayers before he went into the Holy of Holies. Now, let's look at this just for a minute and think about Jesus Christ. When you walk into the holy place, not the Holy of Holies, the Holy of Holies is beyond that curtain. So when you walk into the holy place, you have the candles. Don't, and the candles are lit. They, they provide light. And Jesus comes along and he says, I am the light of the world. Jesus also said, I am the bread of life. Then you have within this element here, the Lord's Supper. 
you have the bread and the wine. Then within this veil, you have 12 loaves representing the 12 original disciples. And then you have Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane praying the night before that he would enter in. And of course, we do know from Scripture, the veil of the temple was torn in two. And therefore, Jesus provides eternal access to the Father. We don't need this anymore. And so when you get, and the, the, the labor and all this is outside where you bring the sacrifice and they put blood on the, on the four corners and the, the priest offers that, then he washes his hands. Of course, that's also done during um, um, the Shabbat dinner, uh, which our Sunday school class will, will do. We've got to get that worked out. But anyway, you have all of these elements. They're spiritual because they were established by God in the Old Testament. But he's saying, look, you can't, do this anymore because Christ did all of this. You read the Gospel of John and this, this pops out off the page. I am the bread of life. He that takes of me will never hunger again. I am the living water, which maybe you could even say would be the lave where you clean yourself before the priest would go into the holy place. But these elements are connected to Christ. It was a foreshadowing. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, if you don't believe in Christ, you got a problem. And even in that uh, uh, Fiddler on the Roof movie that we watched, one of the guys said, Rabbi, aren't we still waiting for the Messiah? So this is something that the author is really concerned about. Now, how he deals with this is quite interesting. Notice verse 13. We'll talk about community. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This ex, ex, uh, ex, exhort means basically to encourage but it also carries the idea of coming alongside and helping somebody. So he's now going back from individual. Notice the shift. Take care, brothers, lest any of you have an evil, unbelieving heart. Now he's dragging the community into this to police itself. Notice the shift. But exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. John MacArthur uh, writes this in his commentary. The writer is saying to the believers among whom he is writing, get alongside each other and help each other. They are especially urged to help their unbelieving Jewish brethren. So when you uh, see a shift like this, the writer is telling the audience to make sure that you check out your brother and sister and to make sure that they are believers, that they have trusted in Christ. Because I, I think, I, I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's not, but it just seems if, if you're God's chosen people, you would want to receive God's chosen one. And yet, some Jews have chosen to reject him as Lord and Savior. It's interesting. There's, there's some words that just kind of pop out. 
Notice the word today. It's a big word. It's used eight times in Hebrew. It seems to suggest an ever-present moment in which today is important. I don't know, I maybe told us a Wednesday night crowd. Um, last week, Holly had to get some work done on her car, and uh, we went to the mechanic that I go to, and he's six, 63. And I walked in and I said, is, I won't mention his name, but is he here? And he said, I'm sorry to tell you, he passed away at the end of July. You really don't know, do you? You really don't know. That's why today is so, so important. Today is September 24th. That's today. Martin Luther said this way, there's, there's only two days that matter, today and that day. If you have not trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is the day to do that. Today is the day in which you could give your heart to Christ. And in a sense, he's saying to the Jewish audience, you got to make this happen today. Don't kick the can down the street because actually none of us know if we have tomorrow or not. And so today becomes vital. The real danger here mentioned is to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That means to be stubborn. The deceitfulness of sin is apate, and that word means trickery. I don't know, uh, I've always been fascinated by magicians. Uh, David Copperfield's probably, uh, and I know there's Harry Houdini, there's all of these others, but uh, David Copperfield would give these great illusions. I think one time, didn't he make the Statue of Liberty disappear? One of his greatest feats of magic, and when I was a kid, I had one of these uh, magic kits and uh, had an egg and it said to put under the tablecloth put some salt and lump it up like this so that when you put the egg on it it will stay straight and your friends will be amazed well the problem is the problem is you could see the lump <laughs> that was the problem uh, and I, Brother Larry sent me a, a, a magician thing last year sometime, and that guy was good. He was making stuff float, and he did all kinds of crazy stuff. David Copperfield would do these amazing tricks. One of his, one of his, great, one of his great tricks, one of his great tricks was walking through the Wall of China. Do you all remember that? The, the Great Wall of China? That's David Copperfield. Notice the, the people up there walking through the Great Wall of China. You know what? You all do know this is just an illusion, right? He didn't really walk through the Great Wall of China. But it was deceptive. It was tricky. And that's the way Satan works. He is tricky. And he says, look, you've got to be extremely careful 
Do not let your heart be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Let me just ask you a question this morning. Have you trusted in Christ? Don't be deceived by this. Christ is the Messiah. He is the Savior, and you need to trust in him. And the way that you do that is you confess your sins, ask forgiveness of your sins, invite him into your heart. This is not about being Southern Baptist. This is not about being Baptist at all, about any religion. This is about having an encounter with Jesus Christ in your heart. And if you haven't done that this morning, just as God's minister to you, please make that decision today. Today is the most important day. Okay, secondly, and join in the gospel. Join in the gospel. Notice what he writes. For we have come to share in Christ. Medicos. That means to partner or to companion or be a companion or to be involved. In a sense, being involved in the gospel is also being involved in the work of ministry. I don't think there's... There, they're actually separated. So what we really have is a gospel partnership in which we work in conjunction with the Holy Spirit to get the gospel message out to the world. Uh, Paul wrote it this way in, in Philippians. I, I constantly praise God because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will carry it unto completion until the day of Christ. So, the gospel can take many forms. Uh, this was a uh, Arbor Way Community Church, which is a Southern Baptist church down in South Carolina. Uh, what they did was they set up coffee, a coffee station, and as people came by, they would give them cups of coffee. Outreach events do not have to be huge, just a presence. And in that, they were able to share the gospel with people, and some of them trusted in Christ. From a simple event, they were participating in the gospel message. And the writer here is saying, look, for we have come, those, and I'm taking this we, those who have Jews who have trusted in Christ, we have come to share in Christ. We live in combination with Jesus. We don't live outside the community. We live in the community, and in that community, we all participate in Christ. And so, if you're not involved in the work of the church, I would encourage you to become involved. Now, this next phrase, don't let it freak you out. I'm going to explain it. For we have come to share in Christ. Oh, there's that word, if. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So the question is, what does that if mean? In Hebrew, or Greek, excuse me, in Greek, there's four classes of if statements or conditional statements. There's four. The first one is this. 
What follows is assumed to be true, and it carries the idea of sense. If I read it this way, since indeed we hold our confidence firm to the end. If that was the first class conditional, that would be right. But it's not. What about the second class conditional? What follows is not true. It would be said this way. They won't hold till the end. Well, could it be a fourth class conditional? That would read, it might be true, but it's doubtful. So then we get to an interesting third class conditional, which fits well with what he's been saying, and which I think is right. It might be true, and it might not be true. He's been saying, look, some of you out there have not trusted in Christ. Some of you unbelieving Jews, you've hardened your heart. But for the rest of us, we know, and we want you to help the ones who are unbelieving to come across. So it, 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 won't, it might not be true in the sense that they have not trusted in Christ. And therefore, if they have not trusted in Christ, they're not going to continue to the end. But those that have trusted in Christ, they will continue to the end. You need some examples. What about 1 John 2.19? They went out from us, John writes, but they were not of us. For if they had been with us, they would have continued with us. And there's the word continued again. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. So some people say, I'm a Christian. And you see nothing in their lives that would even resemble remotely Jesus Christ. Then you have those that, I'm a Christian. And my goodness, you see it in their lives every day. But even that, even that can be forged. You know what the real deal is? It's the heart. Now, if the heart will eventually lead to the actions. And again, John MacArthur's got a good quote here. The greatest proof of salvation is continuance in the Christian life. The true believer stays with Christ. When somebody departs from the gospel, backs away from the faith, we can only conclude that this person never believed. So, Ultimately, none of us can make a judgment call on anybody's salvation. That's why he says, you need to check your heart. You need to make sure that you've trusted in Christ, that you're truly born again. But there are evidence. Jesus said, you will know them by their fruits. So Jesus said, yeah, you can be a fruit inspector. They say this, but they do this, 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 this. There's nothing of God in their lives. And that, you know, again, it's a, it's, a, it's a tough call. And I even once had a Southern Baptist deacon say to me, actually in front of people, I'm not just trusting in what Jesus did on the cross. Yeah, I'm trusting. That's all I got. I can't bring anything to it. But when Christ paid for my sin and he came into my heart, slowly, 
methodically, my life began to change. Now, none of us in this room, none of us do it perfectly. Let's get that, let's roll that out right now. None of us are going to do it perfectly. But if you're not doing it perfectly all the time, <laughs> maybe we should check our faith, make sure that we're born again. Kind of sad with these, with these Jewish people. They have such a heart for God. And yet the author here, there's probably no doubt in my mind going through all the, the, the sacrificial ceremonial uh, and all of these, this system that they had in Hebrews that he lays out masterfully. They were probably practicing God's law. And yet, and yet, this author was bold to say, make sure that you don't have an evil, unbelieving heart. That tells me we've got to be careful with religion. In fact, you've heard me say this many times, I don't like the word religion. Religion can be anything. I can be religious about going to the golf course. I can be religious about watching a particular TV show. I can be religious about what I eat on, on Monday night. I can be religious about this, 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 this. Jesus is not a religion. Jesus is a relationship. And from that relationship comes a community of believers who are called the church of God in which they worship him, which we did today, and we follow him with our lives. That is not a religion in that sense. And so you think about it. It's just short-circuited my mind this week. These were Jews that were practicing the Mosaic law, and yet he says right in verse 12, check your heart. Make sure that you're not an unbeliever. And, and I don't have a problem at all with I don't have a problem at all with, with Jews that have trusted in, in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, like my friend Kurt Glebe takes all of the elements of the Old Testament and applies them to Christ. I got no problem. I got no, no problem with that. I have a problem with it if you exclude Christ from any of those elements. And I think the writer of Hebrews would have the same issue. So that leaves not only continue, but also a caution a caution. As it is today, or as it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion. What was the rebellion? I did some study on this this week. Um, and again, watching Fiddler on the Roof the other night. I said, I'm preaching about that. I'm preaching about that. I'm preaching about that on Sunday. It's kind of funny. You see movies through a different lens when you're a pastor. I don't know. What's the rebellion? You have to go all the way back to the 430 years of slavery in Egypt. Then God said, you know what? I've seen the suffering of my people. And so I'm going to raise up a leader. And I'm going to get Moses. He doesn't talk well. He probably stuttered. 
He had Aaron with him all the time. And he goes to Pharaoh. And of course, also the back story is that uh, Moses was in the desert for a long time. Uh, 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the wilderness, and then 40 years helping Israel get to the promised land, which he never made it. All of these things, these were some miracles in which the nation of Israel saw these miracles, and while Moses was on Mount Sinai, they start building a golden calf. Do you all remember that story? Right down below them, they're building a golden calf because they haven't heard from God for a while. So this is, the, this is what, think about it, this is what the people experienced. That generation that died off before Israel was allowed to go into the promised land. And they wandered around and around in the wilderness. The ten plagues, you remember the ten plagues? All of those ten plagues were aimed at the gods of Egypt. Ten plagues, ten gods, and God said, I'm bigger than all of them. The death of the firstborn, you remember when the, the, Moses said you got to put blood over the doorpost and the, the spirit of death will come through? You could call it that spirit of death, but the spirit came through, and anybody that did not have the blood over the doorpost, their firstborn died. Guess what? Pharaoh was in it. And then Pharaoh said, leave. And then Pharaoh got mad. And then he charged after them. Then God got them to the edge of the Red, the Red Sea. It looked like the, the, the Egyptian army was coming down on them, and God put a block up so that the nation of Israel could pass the Red Sea on dry ground. And as they get all across, I don't know how many hours that took. I don't think we'll ever know. As they get across, God allows the Egyptian army to pursue. They go horse all the way through, and God closes the sea over and kills them. And the people are like, yeah, that's our God, but just in a couple of weeks, we're going to abandon him. Other miracles. Staff, Moses' staff turning into a snake. People saw that. The healing waters at Mara. Bread from heaven. It's called manna, and the Hebrew word there means what is it? All over the ground, and they would eat. Joshua dealt with some of this too. Just take enough for what you need. And then people would be like, and of course they paid a price for that too. Water from a rock. They see all of these miracles. Saw the hand of God. Worship God. Worship Baal. Get in trouble. Worship God. Baal. And all these different gods. That's the rebellion. That is the rebellion. And somebody says, well, if I... 
if I could see Jesus, if I could see him here in the flesh, I would believe. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. If, if, if you could make the sun stop in the sky, then I'd believe in Jesus. I don't believe that. Because then they would start searching scientists that would say, this is why this happened. Listen, Jesus Christ is real. I've trusted in him. He's in my heart. And those of you that have, you know the deal. He is real. And so today, today is the day of salvation. The caution is that we don't become hardened in our hearts. I don't know. I, I don't have any scripture or scientific proof from this, but sometimes I think people, when they hear the gospel enough and they reject it enough, I just wonder, does their heart get harder and harder and harder? Until there's a callus over their heart. At one time, they were right on the precipice, but now they've become callous. Do you know what I think it is? My personal opinion. I don't think people like being told that they are sinners. What do you mean I'm a sinner? I'm a good person. I watched a clip the other day where the guy said, a pastor saying, well, how much good will get you into heaven? What's the quota? I'll tell you the quota. The quota is Jesus Christ. That's the quota. Jesus was dying on the cross, paying for the sins of the world. So that when you trust in Jesus Christ, his righteousness is imputed in you, and you become clean before God, and you have a whole new relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And then, step by step, brothers and sisters, I accepted Christ October 12, 1981, been a long time ago, 81, 91, 2,100, 40, 42 years I've been a Christian. But I can tell you this, it was progressive. It was slow, methodical growth in the Christian life. Never in my mind, I was a, I was a career military guy, I was, I was geared, and I was, I was wanting it. But God spoke to me and said, you're supposed to do this. And I did. I would have never guessed that. Until my ordination day. And then God brought something up to me that I said when I was probably six or seven. As a pastors all over Europe were laying their hands on me, it came to my mind. Oh my gosh. When I was six or seven years old, I was trying to impress this little girl. <laughs> and she said, well, I'm a Christian. And I remember looking over Johnny Miller's house, trying in my best little pea brain to figure out what to say. And I said, that's, that's okay. Someday I'm going to be a pastor. God brought that up to me. I might have said preacher, 
look, you aren't going to live it correctly, but you can never live it correctly without Christ. Even your best will fall short before God. So let me just say this. You really have a, you really have a choice. You could either say it this way. For the Jews, it's Judaism or Christ. But for you, you could say, my life or Jesus. My way or Jesus' way. And if you haven't trusted in Christ, this congregation right here would be excited if you walked forward this morning and gave your heart to Christ. And, yeah, kind of a, it's very, it's very simple. Jesus was real. He came to this earth. He paid for our sins. He died. He physically rose from the dead. He lives at the right hand of God, and he lives to make intercession for me and you. And why the Jews could not grasp this, I don't know. They had scholars. They had legal people that dealt with law. They should have known it, and some of them did. Some of them did when Jesus was here. But for you today, please make that decision today. Today is the day of urgency.